0: like to start a new series today. Thankfully, it doesn't involve eating dangerous food. I am done with that for at least another year. It took the whole of Monday to recover. I love you know. But I want to have a conversation with you tonight on a new topic that I'd like to spend the next few weeks on. And really, in its simplest form, I'd like for us to go through the Bible and help us work out how crazy we are. What I mean by that is whether you're in a happy place or a holy place or a frustrated place or a joyful place, one of the things you discover about men and women alike in the Bible is that they had good days and tough days. There are prophets who were depressed and sat under a weeping tree, and there are disciples who got ambitious and said they want to sit at the right hand and left hand of Christ. There are even those who in moments of insecurity couldn't even defend that they were Christians to a nameless slave woman who asked, weren't you with the Messiah? And they got insecure and said, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, one of the most powerful things about the Bible is that it not only knows how to get us to heaven, it knows how to get us to a happy and holy headspace. And I think almost all our decisions are made by the quality of our headspace. You make good decisions when your headspace is in a good place. And you make really, really poor decisions when your headspace is not in a good space. We have therapists here who will amen that, CP. Right? And isn't it amazing that even though we're Christian, born again and ready to meet Christ face to face when that day should come, that despite the fact that we are saved for eternity, sometimes we can still find ourselves really stuck here on earth. And that is not God's plan. It is not God's plan for you to feel so frustrated on earth that all you want to wait for is heaven. God's plan for you is to be in a holy and happy place here on earth so that your joy may overflow. But there are tools that we pretty much all need. We very often rely on the wrong people or the wrong plans to get us happy. I'm not talking about illegal substances, although according to Cyril, very little is now an illegal substance. He he was saying now that we should all grow the green stuff. But at the State of the Nation address, but very often we're allowing other people, we think that all we need is to pass that one subject. Or you know which one I'm talking about. In my year, my uh, degree, it was ECOS2. ECOS2 was just a little evil for me, especially the tutorials that had to be submitted in uh, building 35. Is that still the case now? It's still the case. I weep for you. Uh, You think, maybe if I could just get myself from being single to changing my relationship status to inner relationship. For some people, even it's complicated, feels like a promotion from, from single. Just some movement, in that area. And then there are those on the other side of the scale who feel whatever is wrong with me, it must be cast out. That some man of God must drive the devil out of me and then I will be in a good place. I think all of those are a bit extreme. I think there is a kind of stewardship, a kind of mental and spiritual stewardship that God expects us to become familiar with. And it'll set us free from our own darkness and it'll bring us into His glorious light. You are not supposed to, whether you have everything you want or not, you're not supposed to be burdened through the journey of life. You're supposed to feel blessed, joyful, celebrating, full of thanksgiving, irrespective of anything going on. In fact, the whole principle of the storm and the disciples in the boat is that you can sleep in a storm if Christ is in the boat. Some believers are rebuking storms as if there's some sign of evil or the end of the age. And others are refusing to get in the boat and go anywhere on the journey of their lives because they're afraid that a storm might come up. So they don't get into relationships. Don't try out serving in church. Don't step into small groups or into something similar because they're afraid that something will go wrong. But I want to encourage you, get on the boat go on a journey. If something goes wrong, the master who knows how to speak to the waves and the seas will say, peace be still. You simply can't live the rest of your life anchored to a shoreline somewhere. And you can't spend all your time rebuking storms. Sometimes you just go to sleep through them and let them do their thing. So I wanted to take you with that in mind on a little journey over the next three or four weeks. This is absolutely the series to invite friends to. Bring your crazy friends. Oh, you're already here. Bring your... (laughs) Bring your burdened friends. Bring the ones who are often going through some sort of a toxic thing that they express on Facebook. Just bring them to church. They don't need something external. They need the master the great physician to do something internal and it'll transform everything about them on the external. You're attracting things into your life because you have a magnet on the inside of you that is either wired for Christ or or wired for selfishness. And you'll attract the wrong or right kinds of things almost unavoidably. When you are blessed and highly favoured as the Lord commanded, blessings come your way. But when you're wired in negativity or frustration, injury or hurt, you gather around other injured and hurt and frustrated people. You seem to live in a spirit of agreement, but it's the wrong kind of agreement. Stop agreeing with people who don't agree with Christ. Only allow your spirit of agreement to be entered into. You're making covenants in unholy places when you should be making covenants with the Creator of all. Galatians chapter three words it really well. I've chosen the message translation, but you can look at it it up in any. From verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed on the cross. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. And now because of that, The air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for everyone, even non-Jews too. We are all able uh, to receive God's life, His Spirit in and with us by believing just the way Abraham also received it. This is a really important passage of Scripture because there is something about it that is not instant. It's absorbed over a period of time. That Christ absorbs from us all the curses that were put onto our lives, and in exchange, He replaces them with blessings. This exchange is so important because it happens the rest of your life. Look your eternal exchange happens once. You were dead in your sins, and you're instantly made alive in Christ by accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour. There is no process there but for your believing. But your soul is on a journey, and it has to be absorbed out, all of the toxins and negativities that the enemy put there, and be replaced with something holy and refreshing and powerful. That's what the Bible says, out of your innermost being will gush rivers of living water. Why the gushing if you don't need to do the drinking? It's so important that we get our heads and hearts around that. The word I really after there is the word redeem, to redeem something. I thought maybe a definition will help us. So for the next few weeks, we're gonna try and figure out how to redeem every area of your life, like redeem your feelings, redeem your future, Redeem your attitude. Redeem your actions. Have you ever looked at yourself and thought, I really want to stop doing that, but I can't help it. Whenever people say that to me, I realise you need to be redeemed from something. It's not that you can't help it. You just haven't worked out what it is about you that makes you an addict to that decision. And when you figured out the addictive source... Christ can set you free from that attitude. Everything about you is changeable in your soul. I mean, certain things aren't changeable. I am the height I am. I have prayed about it. I've cast out demons. I've been on long journeys. I've even seriously considered bungee jumping because because Wikipedia says that you can grow up to two centimeters through regular bungee jumping but my fear of heights prevents me from accepting that challenge. And there are some things you can't change about yourself because God put them in you. But the idea that it can't be helped is not sound biblical attitude. If you're angry, you're not wired with a short fuse. That's a lie. You presently have a short fuse because of how you interpret the accumulation of the curses, circumstances, and atmospheric air around you that if you'll surrender to Christ, the air can be cleared, the curses can be absorbed, new life can be put in you, and the man or woman with a short fuse can become a testimony of patience and perseverance and compassion and love. Stop buying into the lie that you are the unavoidable product of some sort of cosmic wiring. You are not. You're a growing, developing spirit. And God has a plan for your life. Look at this definition. I love this. Yeah, did, did we put it up already? I found this in the dictionary somewhere. It says, to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. To redeem something. To gain or regain possession or control of something through payment. I'll tell you why that's important. Because our minds sometimes feel indebted to things. We feel regret or we feel... Disappointment, disappointment, and regret, anger, and fear are a kind of installment, a payment you make based on a past action. And as long as you keep making it, you're no longer in control. You're now paying a debt. Jesus comes to cover our debts, to pay the bill, and to set us free. Instead of being angry about what was done to us and constantly paying the bill for it week in and week out, Through self-punishment or self-defeat, as that scripture says, you give it to Christ, He pays for it, and you have the freedom to start tomorrow without any of the pain from yesterday, only the lessons and seeds of a God who has great plan for your future. And it's pretty tempting to think, hey man, but I can't help what's happened to me. That's pretty accurate. A lot of it you can't help. But I'll tell you what I can help. I can help every bit of how I respond to what's happened to me according to the power of Christ. Now in my own strength, I'll be honest, I actually can't help it. But in the strength of Christ, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. One of the toughest personal stories I will ever tell. I don't know why I feel led to tell it to you today. I don't always tell the story. Years and years ago, years ago, when I was 19, who is that? <laughs> that sounded like moose. It was moose. You know, it is as though the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, promise. The Lord forgive you. In my own strength, I could not forgive moose, but in, <laughs> I'm gonna take you to a serious moment and I don't want you to feel sad about the serious moment. I just want you to be aware of some of the journey. There I was in matric in a school in KZN in a little town called Eshoi. That's not supposed to be funny. Is somebody else from KZN or a little town called Eshoi. Well, Imam Atrikiah, full believer, running a little church on a campus, on a school grounds with a res, a little tragedy was to take place. Imam Atrikiah, one of my core team at the time, a young lady called Melissa was murdered. And the great challenge of the murder, I was overseas at the time, came back, was the front page of the newspaper. There were no cell phones. You found out when you got there. One of the great challenges of that was the why question. God, there we were serving you, building good things, seeing amazing things. Why this? And you know, all the answers I got from pastors were useless answers. God had picked the best flower for heaven. I'm like, make another one. God, the worst was God is using this to shape your calling. That's cruel. Could he not have sent me a manual? I would have read it. But perhaps one of the most difficult things was the advice of my pastor at the time when they caught the young man who committed the crime to go to the prison and forgive him. And I could not. Weeks went by and I could not. But one day, her parents went and said, Will I come with? And they were men and women of God. And I watched in front of me how human strength disappeared. And though I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Strength came in that room. And I watched the father and mother who had buried their daughter look a man in the eye and say, you need Jesus. And we will pray that prayer with you so that two people die. My daughter and your old self can be buried. And I got in the car shattered to role model in front of my own eyes that you can truly do all things to Christ and strengthen you. In light of that story, is your anger really that hard to Christ? Is your insecurity or body image issue or your frustration really that hard for the Lord? I've learned, based on what I've seen with my own eyes, what God is able to do is incredible. If you will just let Him into your soul. Let Him into your soul. There is this incredible process in Scripture we're going to go on over the next little while. I've learned that you can't receive much from the Lord until you've been redeemed in some area of control. You have to let go before you can take up. Your hands are already full. So some people might say, I don't have much going on in my life. Your hands are full of not much going on in your life. It's your status. Your status is, I'm a bit boring or bored or lonely or sad or frustrated or wish I was lonely. Now don't, don't amen that because obviously the person is sitting there next to you. Your hands are full with your present attitudes. In order for you to receive something from the Lord, you have to surrender something in order to make space for it. Most people don't lack a prayer. They lack space in their hearts for the thing they prayed about. Prayers are easy. Lord bless me. Lord, heal my heart. Lord, give me energy. Those are an easy praise. In order to receive that though, are you willing to say, Lord, bless me. And in exchange, I'll set my alarm to 5am. I'll surrender a bit of sleep because I'm planning to live like a CEO and I'm joining the 5am club. When you say, Lord, please heal me, are you willing to surrender an unforgiving attitude towards a friend or the circumstance because your prayer requires the laying down of something in order to take something up most people comfortable to pray the prayer find it tough to lay down and create the space that the prayer requires god has ample room for you so you can pray as many prayers as you want the question is do we have ample room for god so that he can answer as many prayers as we pray. That's tough. Galatians chapter four from the NIV describes this tension between being redeeming and receiving. It says this, but when you set time, when the set time had fully come, rather God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, uh, uh, so that they may receive the adoption to sonships. Because uh, you are, uh, his son's God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit uh, who calls out Abba Father. Do you notice that first he sent us to redeem and then he adopted. And there is this tension between I redeem something and then I receive something. Today, before you can receive something you've been praying about, you have to redeem something that is paying a debt at the moment. You have to clear space. Prepare ground. Open your heart for the possibility. I always tell this joke. Some of you have heard it many times, but there are new students here, so we might as well tell one or two older jokes, right? I always tell the joke of many years ago, preaching at NMU before it was called NMU. It used to be called UPE. I know it's not that anymore. I get it. It's better now. But I remember a young man coming to you afterwards and saying, I've been praying to the Lord that God will give me the perfect woman. And he said, so much So I prepared a list. Will you go through the list with me and then pray with me, The God will give me such a woman. The list was incredible. She had to be a mighty prophet of the Lord. She had to be able to cook and clean. She had to be able to bring money to the table. She had to look good with all the appropriate digits in all the appropriate places. Everything had to be great. And without thinking, CP, I broke the rule of pastoring. Instead of saying, that's lovely, and just praying. I dropped my filters, and I said to the young man, if you found such a woman, why would she date you? <laughs> Nothing in his prayer list involved him. Nothing on the list said, Lord, make me a good-looking, intelligent, smart, organized, caring man. All he wanted was superwoman, but he was coming with no superpowers himself. I told him, we can pray this prayer, but I don't think the Lord will answer it. It would be better if we prayed a prayer that said, make me the kind of man who would be the perfect partner for a woman like this list. Now you're making space. You're redeeming yourself for a better purpose. Now God can move in your heart. Redeeming is also an incredible, an incredible gift from God because it sets us free from little caves we keep making for ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've climbed into a cave of my own making. A cave of disappointment or frustration or discouragement, or even a cave of false expectations. Oh man, so many of those. A friend here tonight will laugh at this one. I won't mention any names, Lutando. Um, Sorry, did that come out? At the end of every gym session, when I walk past the mirror, my expectation is met by an image of disappointment. Thinking, much more should have happened to me in the last 25 minutes in gym. One of the most freeing things is when God whispers in your heart by saying, wherever you're at, it's okay. I can take you from there to anywhere. I quite enjoy watching good old Judge Judy. She's about 105 and super strict. If I'm feeling bored, I don't mind turning on a couple of Judge Judy episodes. But recently, I watched an interview of her as she ended her career. She had an interesting thing to say, just life lessons. She said, if you don't make it big in your 30s, then you might make it big in your 40s. And if you don't make it big in your 40s, maybe in your 50s. And if not in your 50s, maybe in your 60s. She said, remember the 80-year-old who started a baking company and became a millionaire at 85. You know, one of the most damaging things we can say to ourselves is that because something has happened, something in the future can't happen. That's a lie. It doesn't matter what has happened. What could still happen is in the hands of God. Why would you give credit to something in your past to the devil and then in advance give credit to something in the future to the devil also? That's, paying, that's making payment on something you can't redeem. I've seen the Lord take broken people and make them role models of health. I've seen the Lord take broke people and make them great generous tithers. I've seen the Lord take impossible marriages and put them back together again. Because redemption is God's speciality and it sets you free from a feeling that the opportunity is permanently lost. It is not. One of my favorite stories from people in Father's house is of a couple who a couple of years ago had separated and lived apart. And they started moving on into other relationships. They had a child. And it ended awkwardly, and they didn't know what the future would look like. She had started attending at Father's house. And even started serving in kids' church. And one day, without him knowing about it, he woke up and realised that his life is not going in the direction he would like. And if he didn't change something, that the patterns of his past are going to repeat in his future. He said, Lord, what must I do? Not a great prayer. He felt God say in his heart, you should get back to me, your heavenly father. When he felt that, he was driving along the freeway past this building and saw the words, Father's house. He thought, well, I'm supposed to go back to my father, and that's Father's house. Having never been to an English-speaking church, he pulled into the parking lot that Sunday and bumped into his estranged ex-wife. In the coffee shop, they struck up a conversation. They did that every Sunday for a few months. They recently, well, a couple of years ago, got remarried They've had another kid. And they still are valuable members of serving in this community. They teach me every time I see them that just because it happened in the past doesn't mean it's limiting the size of the field in the future. God is a space creator. Put your hope in God. Galatians chapter four says this. Have I already read Galatians 4? I have a, when the time arrived, it was set by the Father, God sent His Son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that He might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we have been set free uh, to experience our rightful heritage. I loved that translation because I think people are being held hostage by their history and are not seeing the opportunity. Of their destiny. You've got to stop living as a hostage of your history and step out in faith to believe in your destiny. Over the next few weeks, let's untangle the emotional, mental, uncertain knots in your soul. Let God redeem them. He doesn't remove them all. He redeems them. I still have the memories of some of the things I've seen and heard and some of the tragedies I've witnessed, but those memories speak something different to my soul now. You see, every circumstance you've been through is constantly communicating something to you. You have to change the language of the communication. When you've been through a tragedy, like somebody breaks up with you, the language you might hear is, I'm not worthy. But what you need to start to hear is, God, as somebody Better in mind for me. The circumstance hasn't changed, but the language my soul hears has been redeemed. I think that's an important principle. Finally, you've got to recognize that when you redeem something and you create space for something, God will never leave that space empty. God will fill every empty space in your life. Nothing about my life is empty. It's filled with God. I may have lack in something, but not emptiness in anything. I may lack some of the budget I need to fulfill some of the dreams I have, but it doesn't make me feel empty. I may lack a spouse, not that I feel called to be one or have one, but the lack doesn't make me feel empty. I'll prove it to you. How many times have you had a spouse or a partner and felt empty? Or had all the money in the world, bought what you wanted, and it felt empty? Lack and empty are not the same thing. Lack is a present condition. Emptiness is an attitude of the soul. God can fill an emptiness right now. And you can cope with any other kind of lack until God appoints the appointed time. 1 Peter 1 describes it like this, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's how your life has been transformed, not by some empty way of life handed down by other people, but by something incorruptible, something powerful, the blood of Christ. I think a lot of Christians, Christians live empty lives. And that's pretty sad when we have the one who fills the universe with his presence available to fill our hearts. Why would you be empty? I'm telling you, you're making some of those decisions because you're trying to fill a void somewhere in your heart. A void that you shouldn't be using as a decision maker. Whenever I buy even a meal from a position of hunger, I buy badly. I can't help it. I'm hungry. I go to KFC. I should limit myself to one double crunch burger. But while I'm there, the wings speak to me. You are hungry. You deserve it. I say to myself, I will buy one double crunch and four wings. But the lady at the counter is a messenger from a dark place. She says to me, is that all? Well, that sounds like a challenge to me. It can't just be all. She's suggesting I'm not capable of more. I say, make that a meal. She says, a large. I say, of course. (laughs) And the Coke in a cup or a bottle. A bottle. Now I'm eating enough for two people and drinking enough for three. And then the perfect sales pitch. Knowing that you are overindulging. Too rand for hope. Well, since I'm such a consumer, surely I can afford two rand for hope. Now I just surprise them. I make it part of my order. And they say, huh? I say, I'll have a double crunch. I'll have four wings and I want two rand for hope. (laughs) The other day, the lady says, do you want hope? I said, ma'am, I've got hope. You want my two rand. (laughs) Okay, that's first, she says. You see, when you, when you buy from hunger, you buy badly. But when you buy from decisions of satisfaction in your heart, you choose wisely. You're in relationships you shouldn't be in because you're desperate. You're making decisions about your finances because you need to prove something to somebody. You're buying stuff you can't eat with the money you need for food. And all of that is because there's a hunger in your soul. So over the next few weeks, why don't we let Jesus, the good shepherd, take us to green pastures so we can eat well and then still waters so we can quench our souls so that when something comes to us thinking we are that hungry, that we would accept that. We would say, Not for me, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. Stop looking for a world to become good. Be good, and you can resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can you say amen to that? Let's stand together to pray, everybody. What a joy! To preach from Scripture, then drink a glass of water and not feel that I will have to run to the bathroom and pray at the end of an evening service. Originally, I wanted to tell you this, we were going to switch the cameras off for the evening service, so we could just focus on the room. We might still do that, but let me know if you're online and you find it valuable being live rather than just seeing it the next day when we would post it. comment. I did see there were about a 100 and something people online a minute ago. And so I'm trying to bear that in mind. But we're going to breathe a little in the evening service and let the Spirit breathe a little in the worship and breathe a little in the prayer time afterwards. And if you want to see it on camera and you're willing to take that extra few minutes, good, no problem. But I don't want to be limited by that and tap out at like 59 minutes. I want to Allow the Holy Spirit a little bit of breathing space. Because over the next few weeks, we might do surgery in the soul and you don't rush surgery. So Lord, we thank You for Your Word and, and the Spirit at work in us. We thank You that over the next few weeks, we're going to be moved to a happy, you know, even a holy place in our heads and our hearts. We're going to be able to say, I'm good because God is good to me. And out of that position, we're going to be satisfied in a spiritual sense. And out of that place of satisfaction, we're going to choose wisely. We're going to to step wisely. We're going to live out our lives with wisdom. And we pray that you'll give us the confidence to do that. We invite your Holy Spirit to move into the things that we need to redeem. Lay down, make space. And then having made space, absorbing all the toxins out of it, Would you please fill it with all the fullness of heaven flooding our hearts that we would live in a place of abundance. If you've never taken that first step, interrupt my prayer, but if you've never taken that first step to be a follower of Jesus, that's where you should start. I mean, whatever else you're looking for in life, your starting point is the door to eternal life. Whatever else you're going to look for later, start at the door, and the door is Jesus. And all you've got to do really is just to say, "I don't want to do my life my way. I want to do it His way." And and what that means is I I, res, I repent and resist the temptation of doing my own stuff my own way. The Bible calls that sin, and I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I choose to follow His way. And the Bible calls that discipleship. I become a disciple. So I'd love to put a prayer upon the wall. the screen so we could pray this prayer and i wanted to be online so people can pray it when you're watching this later than live in your lounge or at work or driving in the car pray this prayer accept christ and if you do just follow the little link that, that that says i'm new i'm a new believer we'll come after the service we'll give you a bible and we'll sign you up for a little bible study all free of charge members of this church give it to you for free of course to get you on the road there it is dear jesus you said in the Bible that whoever hears your words and believes, God sent you to set me free from my debt of sin, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. I confess that I believe you and I receive salvation from my sins, a new life in my soul. I too now cross over from death to life. In Jesus' name, amen. And everybody said, would you give God a shout of praise, worship and thanksgiving?